0: the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Michelle Redfern. In this first season, not just a statistic, I'm bringing you the stories of women in sport from career start to the boardroom. Every episode is with an amazing woman from a range of different sports and a range of different positions in sport. And every episode is going to give you some actionable insights as a sports fan, as a member, as an administrator, as a leader, to take action on how to close the leadership gender gap in sport. I hope you enjoy the episode. The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across this nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Today's guest is the delightful Shelley Webb. Shelley is a media personality, professional speaker, educator and consultant. She hosts her own Facebook show, Where To Now?, and appears regularly on Facebook show or streaming radio show, Broad Radio. Shelley is also a member of the Outer Sanctum podcast and writer for the Courier Mail. Shelley is well known for her part in Marngrook, a groundbreaking football program, and as host of web show, Colour of Your Jumper. In 2019, Shelley was named... Fujitsu General Football Woman of the Year. Shelley is also a teacher hosting workshops on Aboriginal history, culture and art in primary and secondary schools around Australia. She also works as a consultant teaching and upskilling leaders and educators in Aboriginal history and culture. Shelley is passionate about embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and cultures in classrooms and the national curriculum. In our conversation, Shelley called for increasing diversity in media, a bit of a theme emerging here, so that our televisions reflect the diversity of our streets. She says that leaders must reflect on their own bias and actively seek the truth by uncovering the histories and lived experiences of women and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. By doing so, they may overcome stereotypes and be encouraged to generate more opportunity for diverse people. Shelley also encourages young women to hone their craft, put themselves out there and find a good mentor. And to mentors, she says, give honest and actionable advice to women and women of color coming up the ranks. Enjoy the episode. So Shelly, you have got this portfolio of activities in sport on top of your day job as an educator, on top of the other day job, which women have, which we were just talking about off air, which is what I call the three C's, cooking, cleaning, caring, but you're a parent and a hands-on parent, but you're anchored in sport. Take us right back to where did Shelley start in sport? Why did you start in sport and particularly sports media? And how did you get to where you are now?
1: Thank you for that beautiful introduction and having me here today. I say that sport has been a part of my life forever. You know, My dad was a professional runner. Athletics was our life. That was what we did. As a family, you know, my parents started their own athletics club because there wasn't a club where Aboriginal kids could be involved at a local level and, you know, it ended up being massive. It still exists to this day. And, you know, so being a part of sport and being actively involved in sport has just been ingrained in me from a really, really young age. So the side of sports media was an accident. I dated a a footballer many years ago and that ended up being where they wanted to have women who sung for a band that they were starting on live and kicking. So they went around to all of the football clubs and they were asking what wives or girlfriends sang. And Nicole, Chriska and I, we could sing. Or we were actually karaoke hogs, let's face it. And so nobody else would do it. We just took a risk, had a bit of fun with it. That was literally what we went there for to have fun and, and we did. We had, I think it was two years of just a lot of, you know, once a week we got up, we got dressed up and we got to sing and Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. When that finished, it transitioned into the Mangrook footy show was on radio. They asked me to come on and talk about football. So that was the change of, hang on a minute, I was just having fun and singing and now you actually want me to analyse games. You know, I was only ever used to going and really watching my partner at the time play and analyse his game. (laughs) That was about it. You know, it wasn't something that I was doing a lot of. So I took the risk there too. And I I thought, well, you know, I've been provided an opportunity. I'll certainly go for it. And I went there and I learned a lot on what to do, what to look for in games. And my husband, he was probably the person that supported me the most there with how to analyze games, how to look at games. But I've always been not so much a footy analyst, more of, and my actual brief has always been, we want you to come as a woman watching football. What do you see? And as a fan of the game, what do you see? Bring that to the table in all your broadcasts. So that's the space that I've worked in, coming to the broadcast and giving my perception as a woman and what I see as a fan of the game. And that's pretty much what I've done over the years. I had a break from Margaret Radio that actually stopped for a few years when I had my son Taj and then they transitioned into a television show and called me again and said hey what are you doing I said well you know I've got a bit of baby spew on me and (laughs) that's about it in love with my son and you know I was a stay-home mum at that stage and then they said do you think you could come in on a Thursday night and come on TV and I thought I think I can do that too so I took another chance on myself and you know I was like a rabbit in the bright lights for a little while and then yeah, I worked really hard at my craft. So I worked with producers and the producer, Dan Warner in particular, at Marn You know, we spent years after every single show making sure I went home, I analysed myself, and then I would come with pages of notes about what I could have done better and what I did well. And then I would focus on one thing for the next week on what I would improve. And I did that for years and years. So that's how I got better, hard work. But I was lucky enough to be provided opportunity and then it was the hard work that kicked in
0: that's such a, a good story and I having been a massive fan of of Mangruk, and I love I've, I've just always loved you and and Leela at on there and because you know let's face it whether it's mangrook or one of the other footy shows there's a lot of stuff around the techniques or the technical style of the game and the analysis and what have you but I hadn't really thought about why it was that I enjoyed your perspectives obviously because you're a woman but because you were you were bringing those those, those other that fandom and that this is, and I agree with you. I, I watch footy, and you know half the time I can't even name half the players in the teams that I follow. I, I can't remember the bloody names or anything like that, let alone where they've had forty-seven <laughs> kicks, three disposals, whatever it may be. But the experience of the game, so I, I can see that, that that you've done that, and I think the you know for. For women listening and particularly women of colour, first nations women there's there's two key things that stood out for me is number one you've you've the opportunity presented it to you uh, and you took the risk. So you took a punt because someone was taking a punt on you, so I think it's always a really good call to action. If you've got the opportunity, don't overthink it, just do it and work it out. but then you honed your craft and you sort the feedback from the right others so from your producers and things like that to keep getting better and better and better so that's um there's some knowledge bombs already Shelly dropping <laughs> for us so i have observed you for a long time at, at a distance and then much much more closely in the last few years as i've got to know you and and a whole bunch of other people particularly in the in the, the footy scene around melbourne and i've seen you tackle really complex and distressing issues of racism and inequity in sport in the public domain. And when I talk about the public domain, yes, on air, but on Twitter, on social media and things like that, what I really admire about you, which is something I'm going to have to work on forever for the rest of my life, is how to be elegant and dignified, but absolutely determined to shine a light on the stuff that happens. What I observe from you is that you, you will call out racism, you will call out inequity, but you do it in a way that you're educating people on what good looks like. First part of the question is, is there a particular incidence or an aha moment around racism and inequity that stands out to you that you thought, right, this is it. This is the time I've actually got to step up. And the second part is I want some advice about how to be dignified and elegant
1: (laughs) because I'm not dignified and elegant, but that's another conversation. I think you underestimate yourself. My aha moment there definitely was with racism. And there definitely has been in the lack of equity. So there are two different aha moments. My first aha moment for racism was my... Well, it starts with my father. You know, I had a magnificent role model in him in the work that he did with Aboriginal people. You know, he, he was a true leader for our people, for certainly myself. And he made me promise at a really young age not to go into the public domain to unless my child was strong in self and strong in the fact that they, whoever happened to be my child, because he passed before my son was born, and that they were strong in their love for themselves as well, and that they knew that they were loved by me and that they were protected and well. And so I had kept that promise. I had gone on media and a lot of what I work that I continued to do was a very subtle, subtle little comments would be here, or it was just my presence alone, you know, that made a big difference for my people for me to be on television. So he made me make that promise because it's very difficult for us to stand up and has been over the years and is very impactful on our health and our family structure. So what happened was my son came to me a year ago and said, I don't know why you let people treat you the way that you do. And I went, whoa. I thought I'd been protecting him, one, from the sexist things that I had had done to me in the football area of media and also in racism. And we talked about it and he said, I'll never let people treat me the way that you have. And I knew in that moment I had made a strong young man and I knew that he knew he was loved and he was supported. And it was literally within 24 hours I wrote a letter to the Governor-General and said, this is an open letter, and I wrote it with Dr. Kate Sear, who I work with on the Outer Sanctum. I contacted her and said, what can I do? Because she's one of the smartest humans I know. And she said, write a letter. Let them know that this 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 racism on social media has to stop. We have to do something about this. And I said, I don't know how to do that. I'm just a teacher. And she said, and I've got dyslexia, so I was a bit like, hang on a damn minute, how am I going to make this happen? And so she said, you write down your five points that you want in the letter, and I'll help you. And what happened was that letter started to evolve into not just being my letter, but also Kate's letter. I said, this shouldn't just be signed by me anymore. It should be signed by you as well. And with that, she got you know fifty other friends of hers that are lawyers and. Supreme Court judges and ex Supreme Court judges. So it strengthened the signatures we got within 48 hours. You know, we had Adam Goods, Stan Grant, you know, these amazing lawyers and Supreme Court judges. And we sent this letter off saying that we no longer want to go onto our social media. We want there to be consequences for the people that think it's okay to be racist towards us. And it's, you know, the AFL space is a realm in which I can lift it, but that wasn't really what I was talking about. And I wasn't just talking about racism. It was about anyone who faces discrimination on social media. And I knew that if I made a stand with racism, it was going to bleed out into other minority communities as well. So we sent off this letter and it was received with quite open arms. We talked about about the consequences we felt needed to happen and the education towards the people that were racist on social media. And he left parliament. And apparently it's the first time someone has left parliament, a sitting of parliament to talk to media. Wendy Toohey actually from The Age reported it and said, you know, you let Charlie know that there'll be consequences the same that are on land that will be on the internet. So that moment where my son said to me, I wouldn't let anyone treat me the way that you do, really was a slap across the face more than an aha moment. <laughs> so- I had that moment, but I also had the moment in the media where I I was watching men be rewarded for their work, but not myself as a woman. You know, like when COVID hit, I was actually hosting a show called Colour of Your Jumper through AFL.com. I'm the only person in that actual group of people that are not still working in AFL media. I was the host. They are all in other forms of football media, as we speak, when that was disbanded. Now, that was disbanded by the AFL because they t- decided to take on Yokai, which was actually bringing an income in for them. We were actually costing their money. So, and, and you know, there's also that thought, and it, of course, goes through my mind, that, you know, you can't have two Aboriginal shows. Good God, that would be outrageous. But I am the only person still not working in AFL media on television from that group. That was the moment where I realised, I, and I've always known you know, It's not like you don't know because I did 10 years in Maungrook and I certainly was hit hard a lot of times in the face by sexism. I can guarantee you that. Like if I wrote a book, let me put it this way, I'd need a lawyer. I'd actually need a few lawyers to actually be able to print what I have gone through. And it's been quite quite amazing and quite disgusting actually. I knew then that it was time for me to start being quite vocal about it. I knew I'd lost my position in mainstream, or not even mainstream. I've not gone into mainstream media apart from live and kicking, which was just an amazing producer who didn't care what colour skin you had. He just wanted to make a great show. So I knew that I'd lost my position in the football media in that spot, and I also knew... That it was time to reassess. And I think a lot of people reassess their lives. I know a lot of everyone had to reassess their lives in COVID. And I reassessed that I would be more vocal for this next generation so this crap wouldn't happen to them.
0: So I'm going back, your feedback from Taj about, I won't let anyone treat me that way. Then you took action. And I suppose what I want to call out there, Shelley, is you went, okay, so I want to take action. I'm, I kind of know what I want to say, but I'm going to need help. So number one, you were vulnerable enough to say, or to say, actually, I need some help with this. And you went to your network. And and I agree, Dr. Kate a she's a brainiac, but she's an amazingly inclusive, gorgeous brainiac. And she's got great networks. So the power of our networks to get stuff done. Really important stuff that's aligned with our heart and our head and our values. That you know that that really stood out to me as such a great lesson in how helpful we can all be. One little thing added up or multiplied by you know I always say there's you know what do you call it, about twenty five million people in Australia give or take it's probably about fifteen million adults give or take. What if Fifteen million of us every single day did one really nice thing, one really kind, compassionate thing. I think we'd have a very, very different today. So you went to that network, and those people said, "Yeah, good. Let's get on it." And 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 stuff happened. But then, fast forward into then then that's juxtaposed with, well, oh, hang on a minute. Out of all the people working. In the AFL media, you're the only one without a job post COVID, and we see the impact on women, women's programs of work, whether it's in the media, whether it's on field, off field, whatever it may be in in football and and in sport more broadly. But you know, our our thing is the AFL, and it's lesser than so. There's a high priority given to employing men and funding men's programs and a much lower priority. In fact, some could argue no priority given to women's livelihoods and and the sports media, really, really tough. So you know that I collaborate with the women from Siren Sport as well. You know, it's just so tough. And so that's the stating the, the problem. But then the third point is all of that together was the catalyst for you saying, okay, now's the time for my voice to be amplified and for me to start calling it out out and calling it out, meaning inequity, gender inequity, racial discrimination, racism, and not being silent anymore. Many of us arrive at that point, whether there's a, a one incident or just a range of them. And, and like you, I think I'm 56 years old, this crap should have been fixed by now, right? Because I want that generation, the generations after me to have a glassy, smooth path to walk on, not, not a rough one. But I guess, how difficult has it been for you to move into that space, that real advocacy and calling it out space?
1: I think when I made a decision to do it, it was instant. I'm very comfortable with change and I don't hold any animosity, I don't hold any anger around not being on television talking about sport. I just know that things end. You know like that that's a reality in your life too you know things come to an end and and you know I'm fifty and I don't I feel like I had you know 20 years in the football media and I had a lot of fun with that so I get that cycle of it too you know so that that's that understanding of that it, it was pretty easy and I think with age comes that you just don't care what people think about you anymore. <laughs> so. It's interesting. I didn't realise, I didn't realise that you were 50. So
0: I always say there's this magical thing that happens and, and, uh, And I'm probably going to get bleeped out here so that this podcast can actually be heard by small people. But, you know, my give a fuck a meter broke (laughs) when I turned 50. Yeah, Yeah. mine is
1: broken. And I worked out that the game that I was playing when I was younger of not really speaking up and fitting into the world was no longer working for me. You know, I, I wasn't happy with that. It didn't make me feel like a complete person. I felt like I was selling myself out. I was selling out the next generation by allowing that. That to be, I felt like I was also protecting people. I had this funny thing where I felt like I was protecting the young, younger people by not speaking up, so they thought it was easy, so they could come along and just do it. And then I realized, me not speaking up and making a difference is just continuing to create this world for it to be just like them. You know, in ab- Aboriginal people, we are very much raised to leave the next, the world better for the next generation, and uh, and I had faltered in that in the media space. I wasn't speaking up. I was just taking crap after crap after crap. You know, look, like I had someone leave Mangrook because they refused to work with a woman on the panel. Wow. Left a, one of our co hosts left Mangrook because he refused to sit next to a woman full time on the panel and talk about football. You know, so I had a lot of stuff and it was, some of it was really heartbreaking because I felt like they were my friends. I actually felt like they were my brothers, you know, so I had to change all of that mindset I had to look at, at egos. I had to look at, at, you know, all of these things that were running and take my heart out of it. But once I did that and that whole, you know, meter thing broke, <laughs> it, yeah, and, and, and I haven't spoken up about a lot of the stuff that's happened to me too is because they have children and I didn't want in the media – for those children to Google their father's names and that be what they read about them. You know, they have daughters. And I thought, how could I? So I have this i have this really odd sense of protecting their children, which is a really odd thing. I've stepped through. I've learned a lot. I've become so strong. It's just ridiculous. Sometimes I have to check myself. Um, you know, the things that I'm happy to say to people without any quite almost ridiculous. I'm good with where I'm at. I'm really proud of myself for the, the voice that I've chosen to use. That I've created a space which I can lift my voice
0: through. This this takes me back to that elegant and dignified because you've just you've captured so elegantly um, how I feel um, about finding that voice and and also going beyond that point of no return. What's interesting though, Shelley is you've still got that innate need to protect people, as you've said. And I think it's really noble because, yeah, those kids of of perpetrators of gender discrimination, bias, racism, whatever it may be, that's not their issue. But yeah, so I I, I admire you for that. Remember too, their children
1: will get old and one day
0: I'll get even worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is interesting though, because calling it out is also helping to educate that next generation and generations, um, the ones that come after us about the good, the bad, the indifferent. And we want to show people, yes, we want to call out what bad looks like, but we also want to showcase what good looks like as well so that so that that, that can be done. Being a representative of, you know, and look, let's let's face it, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders are not you know, one homogenous group. So I'm always very, very conscious of saying, you know, you represent your people. First Nations, it's so big. So that's such a, a burden to have to, to bear. But- in the AFLM, First Nations people make up around 11% of the playing cohort. We know that First Nations people make up just under 3% of the Australian population. So we've got a significant overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the AFLM. Aboriginal players have been playing since 1904. Um, now the first player started in 1904. Twenty years till the next Aboriginal player was was able to play. But that on air media, on air football media, is still largely homogenous, so white. And male. Yes, there are some notable exceptions, but they are the exceptions. So your career in foot in the footy media, go back to a statement you made earlier, w- was largely not part of the mainstream. You know, arguably Mahn and Colour of Your Jumper and, and things like that, you know, they're not the Channel Sevens, the Channel Nines, the Fox footies and, and things like that. And so we have we're just not seeing First Nations women participate in mainstream media? What's it going to take? And I know this is a really big question and I'm conscious that you don't represent you know, you know everyone, but from your perspective, what's it going to take to change the face of sports media to represent Australia more appropriately, particularly First Nations women and women of colour?
1: Absolutely. I do know that Channel 7 are creating a pathways program um, at the moment for this to be, you know, but I look at Tony Armstrong. And I think he didn't go a pathways program. Someone just took a risk, took an opportunity, you know, and that's the thing with us. We're still seen as a risk, you know, that language around us is still very, very much used. So
0: why are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people seen as a risk?
1: A lot of it has got to do with the way that media portrays us, you know, very negatively. People see us as people who go, still to this day, will go walk about, you know, don't have commitment to what we're doing as a job. Some people just see, you know, like in the AFL world, for example we can't hire someone from a remote remote community because they might want to go back to family. Then do something about that. Make that part of their contract. Okay, your family comes here, you go there. Acknowledge that that is a part of the Aboriginal community. Don't see it as a negative all of the time. You know, or they'll take the risk in the AFL world of, well, we can't get this Aboriginal player because they're not fit enough. Now, last time I checked, that was actually their job was to get people fit. That is the excuse they use over and over again. It's because it's not a world that they know. And so they're too frightened. They have all these problems preconceptions of Aboriginal people in their minds or these stereotypes so they avoid it. It makes me so
0: mad because my very first job in Geraldton, where I grew up, was for my two bosses. It was a tyre company, Good Year tyre company. We had a lot of Aboriginal guys, and um, they actually used to employ the Aboriginal guys from the footy clubs. And of course, they'd come down from up north uh, to play. And that. and so, but at that time, I can still remember going. Oh, Chris Zampy was one of a one of my workmates, and he was just unreal. But when he had to go back to country for men's business, it was just he's got to go back up north. He's got to go back to family. He's got to go through men's business, and they just said this is just the way things are you know so that's that's 40 years ago right freaking hell you know if we're deliberate and mindful and intentional about it about embracing not expecting people to assimilate but we integrate culture and we integrate the fabulousness that makes up all of us, you make it work, right? Because Kevin Sheedy was, I remember reading something about him saying, you know, the young Aboriginal boys, particularly ones that come over, come over from WA to play for Essendon, they were miserable because they're away from family. And so he, he'd say, right, let's bring the family over or let's get you, you know, billeted with someone with another Aboriginal family or whatever it may be so that they could be with their mob and feel comfortable and connected to,
1: to family. So it's, you can
0: do it, right? Of course you can do it.
1: You know, people have been doing it for years, but People still fear and and don't do it. You know, they, they oh, it's too hard, it's too hard. And a lot of it comes from the stereotypes, you know. We just had that young man, our first Aboriginal man, pass away from COVID a few weeks ago. What did they do? They printed his criminal record. Half of these people that that have passed from COVID, we don't even know their name because they've been awarded the privacy. The very first Aboriginal one, there he was, his criminal record. So it dehumanises us. It makes it okay for him to have died. And that's how the media portrays us all the time. So that's what's really difficult for people to sometimes get out of their head. And that's why when I talk to people, it's about self-checking. Check what's going on in your head. You know, immerse yourself in our culture. It's your culture too. This is Australia. We have our 65,000 plus year history. Make it yours, you know, and then we won't have these problems. But
0: it's about... sorry that call to action there, I want to grab that, Shelley. I'm so not proud of Australia for a whole bunch of things, but what I am really proud of, and the more I learn, the prouder I become, we've got the oldest living culture in the world here. And, and I love – what I love about New Zealand is how reconciled uh, they are with Maori people and the, the the traditional names and things like that. And we're starting starting to see some green shoots around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, correct names and things like that. But it's our – it's us, isn't it? It's all of ours. And we should be proud of it and embrace it. Absolutely, we should. So the media. Mm. So you talked about Channel 7 starting a Pathways
1: program. Th-
0: yeah, I've heard that they are doing that.
1: What needs to happen is you need to create- – opportunities. So when you walk down the street, you don't see white, able-bodied men everywhere you go. But this just doesn't happen in Australia. Let's make our TV screens look like our streets do. You know, let's take chances on different cultures. Let's make beautiful people who want to work in media, elevate them into a position. If you have the power here in Australia, walk down the street and make your TV screens look like that. That's what we need to do here. We need to make sure that our cultures are represented, our people are represented of all walks of life. That is what will move us forward as a nation One as in true reconciliation with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but also minority groups, not feeling so other. We will all be together and we'll all listening to each other and looking through the lenses of different cultures. That is the most important thing you could bring to this country. If we started looking through the lens of Muslim people, Jewish people on our televisions, you know, women of colour, the different stories and perspectives that we would gain will make our country so much richer. You know, it will take us to the next level as a country and, and that's what we're lacking. We just get that one perspective all the time. Which
0: comes from that very homogenous group of people who are programming and editing and and things like that. So I was going to ask what gets in the way, like what hiring and networking practices get in the way of or that prevent First Nations women from gaining employment. But I'm going to flip it now and say, so if you were giving advice, if you were sitting in front of a group of young women from, from all backgrounds, but most particularly First Nations women what would you have them do and then for the leaders in in sports in sports more generally what would you have them do around networking and hiring and things like that so advice for both sides of the equation here
1: well, so if i was talking to a bunch of young women ready to go i would definitely talk to them about doing a course You know what happened to me is very rare, but it is sometimes how the world works. You know, it's not what you know who you know type of situation. We definitely know that is a huge part of how our world is put together. But if that's not where you are, and if you don't have those networks with somebody who can put you in in a position like that, then it's about doing a course. It's about really honing in and practicing. And we have this beautiful thing called social media now, where you can be a star. You know, you can make your own podcast. You can make your own little shows. You know, you can really show the world you're serious about what's going on I would say you would work at your craft you would you know seek a mentor to make sure that that mentor helps you get better. Someone who's not going to say to you, and this is a problem that happens with Aboriginal people a lot. Oh, you're so deadly. Yes, that was so great. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes what you do is shit, you know, and you need an honest person to say to you, this is what you need to do. Like I did with Dan, he said to me, you need to focus on this one thing to get better every week. And I would be something different and it would be the one thing. And then it would just start to become my normal because I had practiced it so much. So it's about perfecting what you're doing, selling yourself, letting people know you're out there. We've got this platform now that I didn't have when I was growing up, but I sure as hell would have used if that was where I wanted to go, you know? So that, was, that would be my advice to them. And then it would be about, I think one of the greatest advice, I mean, I've always lived this way, so it was just a, an affirmation of my life. My makeup artist at Mangrook, you know, she. there were two amazing women in Mon and Sioux. They did my makeup for 10 years and they would say, who you see on the way up are going to be the same people you see on the way down. Make sure you have treated everyone in your area with respect and love because you just might need them to lift you and hold you one day you know, and that's how I've lived anyway, but they would say it over and over and over again to us, you know, you be respectful. And even like when we were being respectful, they were still, you know, making sure that we really understood it. So I've lived my life like that, but to hear them always just plugging that in our ears. And it's true. You know, once you get to the top You don't stay there all the time in media. It's a rare person that's there 30 years. So you enjoy that ride. You enjoy like I did. I had a a greatest time, you know, and through that platform, I now have a voice in our community where I can make a change for other people, and that's what I've used. And there was actual thought in that. There was a deliberate effort. In maintaining, you know, I, I, there was a point during group where I I knew that I needed to separate myself a little bit from group and be my own. So I hired someone and I got a website and I talked to somebody about how you actually make yourself an individual person of worth on social media, however that looks. And I I paid a lot of money for that, and it was only a matter of a few months that it paid itself off, it, and it made a massive difference. You know, and the other thing that I did was my brother-in-law, he actually puts the words in the back of websites. So that's his job. He puts keywords in. If you don't have a brother-in-law who does that, my advice would be <laughs> to Look up your brother-in-law. <laughs> hire someone who puts keywords in the back of your website so that when people are typing in words that you're looking for and you're wanting a job in media, yours pops up and with your showreel, you know a show rule that you may have created on Facebook, you know? Mm. I mean, look at the red table. They won an Emmy for that, you know? So Facebook is actually what people are doing. Not many people watch television now. Most people are on their phone. It's on demand,
0: you know, and you've got to be in the places where the people that you that you want to connect with are, are going to be. That advice, you know, it goes back to you. You've got to take risks, take chances, hone your craft. So yeah, do a course. But the mentoring, Shelley, that's a really, it's, it's one I want to explore with you because find a mentor who's going to give you the feedback you need, not that you want to hear. And so I know that men mentor women differently than they mentor men. And some of the things that get in the way of senior men mentoring women, and then you overlay that with a cross-cultural or a race difference, they hold back from giving constructive feedback or the feedback, you know, the lovely kick in the bum that you need from time to time or that very specific, not the, you go, girl. Yeah, no, that's not useful. What did I do right? Yeah, that's great. But what do I need to do more of or start doing? How do those senior people, particularly senior men who are saying, I I really want to give back, I I want to be a great ally, but I want to mentor, yeah, I will mentor a young woman of colour or a young Aboriginal woman, but how do they get beyond that reluctance to give the constructive feedback that they might, you know, they might feel, God, I don't want to offend her or be accused of being paternalistic or you know whatever it may be. I
1: just think it's at the new start how you're going to finish. If you're having a conversation with somebody and they either come to you or you say look I'm up to mentor, you know Who would like to be mentored that you say, This is how it's going to look. You may hear things that you don't want to hear. You may want me to tell you that you're great, but I will give you that one thing every week to work on. And it will be brutal at times, but you will start to look at yourself differently. You will actually not go, Oh, that was good, or Oh, all of that was terrible, you know, which was a common thing for me at the start. And, you know, then you will start to see yourself differently, but you will learn when you open yourself up to. Constructive criticism, it will be your friend. You know, I used to, I used to drive home from Mangrook, and I would have made one mistake, and it felt like it went for ten minutes, and I'd be driving home going, "Oh my god, I looked, I was so bad, I was so bad." And I'd get home and I'd watch it, and it was like literally a split second, and then I'd be like, "Ah, oh, I'm looking at the wrong things. I'm looking for the mistakes I made, not how I can actually get better." So years of doing that and i think also as a teacher i was doing that too you know we had to go in every year for a review so i was very open to having people in my space tell me how to be better and i always have been and i'm okay with that because if you think you are the best you can be at a job you were only kidding yourself
0: yeah very very good advice and i think the you know there's a difference between self-flagellating over a, a little blue that probably no one noticed but you know piece of gold from you figure out what you need to be better at not just picking up your mistakes what do i need to be better. At. I remember talking to Dr. Brady O'Donnell who was the inaugural head of the Office of Women's Sport and Recreation here in Victoria and she said it's about having the elite athlete's mindset. An elite athlete wants Wants that that one percent or that 0.01 percent of what do I need yeah you know, do I hold my fingers differently do I start off the starting blocks do I you know what do I need to do having that mindset of absolute excellence means that you are going to be open to feedback I must admit when I do leadership I love working with athletes because they do they're not interested in the fluff
1: they just no. tell me what I need to do better Michelle yeah, just tell me uh, what I need to do better I love it we can all <laughs> adopt that mindset I could probably do with a bit more fluff I am um, I I'm, I'm just not fluffy so you know almost my friends say well I, I always know where I stand <laughs> I, I don't have time for that for my friends either you know like they know that if I'm saying something it's because I genuinely love them and want them to be better as I would honestly expect them to do the same for me you know I can be fluffy and nice and cute but when it comes to being a better person or better at your role I just don't seem to mix my words <laughs> Okay, so
0: allyship is a really important part of closing both the gender and the race gap, uh, in, well, across the world. Um, and, and, but, you know, obviously in Australia, it's not up to those that are excluded to keep having to work. To be included and to reach their full potential, and I know that. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, unless someone calls you an ally, you're not an ally. It's not a self-appointed thing. So there's no badge, right? But in in the spirit of learning and sharing, what would be your advice to some, well for someone like me and others who want to be more? active and want to be, to really step into that allyship space for for First Nations women and First Nations people and women of colour?
1: Well, I think our biggest problem in this country is that a lot of people don't know the actual true history of this country. They shy away from it. You know, we had Tom Wills, what was coming out with him this week, and people saying, oh, no, 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 second, third, fourth hand can't possibly be true. Massacres here in Australia, very much true. So right up until 1928. So it's about understanding the true history of this country and what actually happened to Australia and that there were government directives to make sure that Aboriginal people were eradicated from this country. So once you understand the trauma, and the intergenerational trauma that has been given and passed through to Aboriginal people, you can get a really clear empathy about Aboriginal people and the position that we're in as people. And with that empathy, it can drive you to want to make the world better and to give opportunity to create a space for Aboriginal people to be lifted and to make sure that this does not continue to go on to break this cycle that is happening because there are still too many children that are removed you know i'm in teaching i can't talk about a child an aboriginal child in my teaching profession without someone wanting to call dhs before i've finished sentence but if i'm talking about a non-aboriginal child i can go on for a full paragraph and then they go oh but their parents are going through a divorce you know, like dad's working nights, mum's a bit tired. There's always that, you know, I don't even get to finish a sentence for Aboriginal kids and they DHS, let's call them. So it's about having that empathy and understanding, knowing where we come from by knowing your true history and then self-checking the stereotypes that the media has been flooding you with your whole entire life and making sure that you engage with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people you go to festivals. You just yesterday, I wanted to learn more about Torres Strait Islander food. So I did a Mabu Mabu online course to make Torres Strait Islander damper wrapped in bamboo. I know.
0: And I saw your Instagram and my my tummy rumbled, my mouth <laughs> watered at the look of it. I went oh, and I jumped onto their
1: website. So, oh, great. Well, you try that pumpkin damper, you will not go back. Unbelievable. But you know, like I always want to learn. There is no way I'm going to know everything about my own culture. And you know what? I'll pass and I won't know everything because it also won't be my business to know everything. You know, I'm not an initiated woman. You know, I haven't gone through a ceremony. So I won't know a lot about my own culture. But what I do know, I embrace and I see and I try to share as much of the beautiful side as I possibly can, because that's what we don't look at in this country. We don't look at the beauty within the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture enough. We don't celebrate that enough and we don't embrace it enough. So. As an ally, understand your history, check those stereotypes, make sure that you're always questioning what goes through your mind, embrace the culture, go to the festivals, eat the food, you know, share it with your family. And then we're going to we're going to be in a better place. hundred percent. And, you know, the empathy factor is, is so important
0: in all of this work around inclusion um, so that, you know, all humans can reach their full potential. And, you know, one of the, I can recall, I'm not sure when I found it out, but I was shocked that under Australian, under the constitution, Aboriginal people were not considered people in my lifetime. You know, in 1967, when I was two years old, was when the constitution changed. And it's just, and it's mind boggling, but you just go, so feel that. And it's great advice. So understand not the last 200 years of Australia's history are. Not since invasion, not since European occupation, understand the sixty five thousand years and be proud of it. But yeah, you're right. Check yourself. those thoughts. everyone has bias. If you're human, you've got bias and you've got stuff that goes on, but check it and and watch your thoughts, watch your mindsets. So it's really, really great advice. but also, I, fall in love with the culture. She said the food, the craft the and the sheer brilliance. you know." And I, I was really interested in the discussions, Shelley, when the awful bushfires were happening 18 months ago around the practices that First Nations people have had around burning off for 65,000 years and how we really want to come back to it and say, we've got these experts been looking after country for Thousands and thousands of years, how might we tap into that so there's just there's so much, so much to be learned
1: and farming the same patch of land for sixty five thousand plus years mm, you know mm. we two hundred odd years or since colonization we've got land that is useless now, that's right. You know? Because so it's been over-farmed. Over over-farmed. You know, listen, listen and learn from each other. You are a very accomplished and awarded woman.
0: What, what are you most proud of? Which accomplishment are you most proud of and why?
1: Apart from my baby, who is my world and, and why I do what I do, I would say it's when a, another Aboriginal person comes to me and says, I saw you on television when I was a kid and I knew the world was going to get better and you inspired me every day, because I would turn my TV on, and I would laugh, and I would smile at you, and and I just knew that there was going to be a space for me when I grew up. That's probably my greatest accomplishment, because, you know, 20 years, those kids are adults now, and they'll come up to me everywhere. You know, a catch came up to me, a place for Richmond, and she said, I was this young Sudanese girl watching you on television, and just knowing that I could do that, and look at her now. She's an absolute superstar. So those People that I have helped believe they can do it and that was literally my driving force through all of my work. That's what brings me the greatest joy and the greatest accomplishment. Award-wise, it would be Football Woman of the Year with the Essendon Network where I was awarded the joy of driving around the MCG on grand final day for the award. That was part of the award. And seeing the women's eyes filled with tears and yelling out, thank you, like that will stay with me forever. You know, that they they were legitimately thanking me for the work that I had been doing in that space of media. And it was joyful.
0: I was very, very fortunate to be right there when you were called as Football Woman of the Year. And it's it was a magical moment and so well-deserved and just so lovely to see you break through. Oh, it's just, I hate that expression, but you break no, through. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Into a pretty, you know, elite environment and say, you know, it, it made me feel like, you know what, there's hope you're know, we're starting to get to the point where you're valued either your contribution which is not overnight right you know, you've been doing this 20 30 years it is now valued and recognized but I, I love the fact that the very first thing you said you're proud of is when you know you've made a difference for your community and 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 for other women and people of color so what's next on the on the on the to-do list Shelley?
1: so like I said I have a reassessed life and there isn't a space for me in television talking footy You know, I I put a few shows into a couple of networks, and they just said there isn't the money for it, there isn't the space for it, and that they loved me, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I've done the full reassessing, and having a teenage boy, fourteen, just about to turn fifteen in a couple of days, I know that that's where I need to put my energy in, and to making sure that I have a very strong young man. Next for me is still lifting my voice for the inequities in our world. That is probably where I lie. Education is where I'm very passionate. I'm one of those people that has probably too too many hats. So in my education space writing curriculum to help teachers so that they feel comfortable because we are asking a generation who were denied an education in school to now be the ones giving the education and they don't know where to start. So that is a huge passion of mine. And I've really taken this since COVID, I've really elevated that and done a lot of work in that space. And I'm even thinking of maybe just getting a regular old job. (laughs) Just a regular old job, you know, because I do so much and I'm pulled in so many directions and I really love it all. But then I also think maybe I'll just get a regular job and do nine to five and change that part of the world and and still have a voice because, you know, I can't help myself. But...
0: (laughs) So, well, let me know how that nine to five business works out for you because I don't know. I, I can't see it. But anyway, I will say, Shelley, the work you did with SBS around the educators piece, you know, how, particularly for primary school teachers. My daughter is a primary school teacher and she was really, really thankful for the materials that you and SBS have developed. And they've got a, she's in WA and they've got a very multicultural school, but they've got a very strong emphasis. I was only talking to her last night about this actually, but the very strong emphasis. On as she said, Mum, we never learned anything, and I said, I know I had a snippet about. I remember learning about the Dreamtime and things like that, but I think perhaps it was because where I grew up and we had a very a lot of Aboriginal kids in our school, whatever. But but yeah, you're right. Helping these educators now who've been denied anything but 200 years of history, and helping them to educate the next generation about how to fall in love with our culture. So I think that's that's absolutely terrific.
1: Yeah, so I do a lot of fun there. I have basket weaving and do a lot of art and creating activities and just educating teachers. And yeah, I'd really enjoy that part of it. Well, there's a call out to all of the educational
0: folk out there, particularly those of you who are really serious about closing the gap, the education gap and the knowledge gap around 65,000 years of history. You know who to go to, Shellyware.com. So Shelly, final wrap up question and it is a biggie and it's pretty broad but what's your final message to people who hold power in the sports industry about closing the gap for first nations women
1: talk to people who've walked through engage with people like myself you know there are other leila gurui we talk about what we went through as aboriginal women what experience we have, where we saw the, the falls, where we saw that people could have done better, get from our experience. And once you understand where we've been, create opportunity for people, but create an opportunity for someone to not fall in the places that we fell, in the gaps that we fell through by there not being an opportunity in the next stage, where we were just seen as someone. You know, so many times people would say to me, but in our TVs where Aboriginal people belong, that's what that station's for. And that's a real mindset in the mainstream media, they believe that that's where we belong. So get that out of your minds. We belong everywhere. Everybody belongs. You know, like I said, these streets are full of different people. I want to see that on my television. Maybe then I'll watch.
0: Yeah, well, you and me both, because I don't, I don't watch a lot of broadcast TV. I stream, I stream, and and so I, I watch what I want to watch, and yeah, and certainly from a footy perspective, there's not a lot I want to watch at this point. So, um, because it, it is, it is, it's hard, it's hard as a woman, and it's hard as someone who, like you, does the work to try and really embrace all people from all walks of life, but you just don't see anyone other than a certain group um represented. So yeah, it's it's hard. So Shelley, we have had heaps of advice from you today. So these knowledge bombs, particularly for emerging Aboriginal and um, Torres Strait Islander women, women of colour. Take those risks. When a chance is there, take it. Hone your craft and, and get good advice. Find those good mentors who are going to give you good advice. Mentors, give good advice. Don't give the, hey, you're deadly. Hey, you're fantastic. At a girl. Give good advice to help her hone her craft use those networks, figure out what's no longer serving you and leave it behind and move into the next. All of us have got to examine our mindsets about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people because we have been fed a diet of rubbish by effectively a very narrow group of people for a long, long time. So examine our mindsets about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, take chances on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and men, because why wouldn't you? Because as you've said a couple of times, let's have our TVs look like our streets look. Let's understand our history, our true history and the truth. And there's got to be a lot more truth telling about our history in Australia, which is 65,000 plus years old, not 200. Of course, one of the the greatest things that leaders can do. So the leaders in in sports and sports media listening, please sit down and listen to Aboriginal women's experiences. Because when you listen, you're going to understand. When you understand, you're going to have empathy. When you have empathy, you can do something about it and start creating those opportunities for our televisions, our, our, our multimedia environment to look more like. Australia really looks. Shelley, you are a, a truth teller. Oh, well, you know, I do what I I've do. Done this before. <laughs> um, you are a truth teller. I, I think you're awesome. And as always, you, you, I do call you out for being so dignified, so elegant, but so absolutely damn determined to make a difference. And, you know, I salute you. Uh, and thank you so much for your time and sharing sharing stuff with with me and and with the people who are going to tune in. That has made you relive some of your experiences. So I acknowledge that that that's tough as well. So truth telling and reliving your truth is tough. So I thank you for that, and uh, and I hope that that's been okay.
1: It has. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me a platform and giving me a voice again. It was a pleasure as always. You're a star. Thanks, Shel.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that you. Can- Can gain a lot of insights and importantly, take action wherever you may work in sport. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating. It really helps to spread the word. And of course, please do share this episode with your friends, with your colleagues and with your network of people in sport, because together we can close the leadership gender gap.